Good morning. Um, take a giant step across the aisle and greet someone you have not met before. Welcome. For those of you who sit in the back, you should sit in the front and listen to the, the, the voices. It's beautiful. Um, I am Julie Minan. I'm a person from the Pew who uh, volunteers in children's ministry. Um, I'd like to welcome everybody who is in-house. And are we still doing online? Hello. Uh, if you are a guest, please fill out a yellow sheet. Um, that's how we get to know you. If you are a regular attender and you have new information, please fill out a yellow sheet. If you have prayer requests or praises, please fill out a yellow sheet. If you have criticisms, send them up there. <laughs> um, you can find these at the back of the, at the table on the pillar in the cave area, new addition place, and at the welcome desk, and then put them in the offering box. We have a women's Christmas dinner December 2nd from 5 to 7 in the fellowship hall. It is $10 each. You sign up at the welcome desk by November 28th. I don't believe you have to be half a century old for this one. I think anybody can go. <laughs> and there are rides available if you need one, if you don't like to drive at night, but you do need to sign up and let them know. Mom's group, near and dear to my heart. I am not part of it this year, but I love this. Um, they meet this evening at 6.30 um, till 8 in the fellowship hall. It is for moms of elementary kids and younger. And there's no child care. We want you to leave your kiddos at home for some daddy time. Um, but nursing babies are welcome. We will be caroling December 17th after second service. Um, sign up at the welcome desk. And they will have lunch and then prayer and then going out to sing carols at the nursing homes and some select um, residences. Salvation Army, we need bell ringers. Um, incidentally, everything is in the bulletin. How handy. They are on the table outside the doors. But um, in the bulletin is a QR code. You can use your phone. And excuse me, that'll take you to a link to sign up for bell ringing. If you are um, lonely and you want me to join you, just... Let me know and I'll come and ring a bell with you. Um, or you can grab a brochure at the welcome desk. Um, the teens went to the apologetics conference um, Friday and Saturday night. We had about 20 teens. They had good teaching, deep discussion, lots of fun, and little sleep. So if the slides aren't working, it might be that Miss Julie fell asleep back there and just got to nudge her a little bit. Aw, that's my girl. <laughs> Um, OCC, this is collection week. OCC is Operation Christmas Child. You fill a box, you send it off to a child um, who has probably never received a gift before. And we have a short video. Hi, this is Joan Niedemeyer, and I am here to share with the Maranatha family all about how we pack this shoebox and how we get 750 shoeboxes out of here tomorrow afternoon. We thank all of you for being a part of this with your prayers, your donations, and um, just it's taken a lot to get there, so I want to share briefly how we got there. We start with assembling all these shoeboxes. Pastor Aaron and his small group came in Thursday night and assembled all 750 boxes. Today is setup day on Saturday. We have a whole group as Stacy pans the room. You can see these wonderful people that came and packed and unpacked and got everything ready so we can pack tomorrow. 
I'm going to start with one box. This is a 10 to 14 year old girl. Each line is by boy, girl, and age group. So we're going to go down the line for a 10 to 14 year old girl. She will get a notebook, a pencil pack, these are our school supplies, a box of crayons, and if we prefer, let's put some colored pencils in for this 14-year-old girl. She gets one wow gift. We've got a Barbie that we're going to put in the box. They get one, one um, special gift. The next table is hygiene items. We will give her some clothing, nice shirt to match. All, all of them will get a washcloth, a bar of soap, and a toothbrush. We're going to put some nice warm socks in there. And the final table is our filler table that we want every box to be fun, filled, and personalized. So we're going to fill this box. We have the um, pump flashlight. Uh, let's see what else. We've got a little bear. We've got a poppet toy. How about these little bendy dolls? We'll put two of those in our fun. And girls always like some fashion, fashion sunglasses. So we've got a, we've got a full box, and we're going to put a message. Um, we have notes already done with pictures. We're going to put a note personalized from the Maranatha family, and. That's how we do it. We're going to do 750 of these tomorrow. Thank you all for your support, and I ask for your prayers. Let's pray over the OCC boxes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you um, that we can worship you freely. I pray that everybody here would hear your voice and that their hearts would be open. Lord, I, I lift up the boxes to you that they would be... Um, they would go to the children that you have designated for them and that they would do their work, that um, hearts would be turned to you and that lives would be changed. Thank you for all you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is a great morning to be together, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. There's a couple people I want to notice, to have you notice. Years ago, maybe you were one of these persons who signed your name saying that you would defend this country, whether you were in combat or not, whether you were in an airplane or helicopter, on a boat, under the water. We honor our veterans. So if that's you, would you stand? Yesterday was Veterans Day. If you ever served in any of the branches of services, would you stand? Let's give them a hand. Awesome. Thank you. And the day before that was the Marine Corps birthday. I see two Marine Corps. Maybe there's more. I don't know what. Yeah, we thank you for your service that you've done in the past. We have a few of our church family members that are currently, they sign their name. They're out and about, we could say. So we'll be continuing to be praying for them. So let's just take a moment and pray for our military. Father, we do thank you for this great land that we live in, the land of the free. And we have many of our freedoms because we are protected, both here by those who serve with the National Guard, those are in Wisconsin, those in the National Guard around our nation. We thank you for those who serve. There are some here that do that. We also thank you for those who are currently serving overseas, in different countries, we thank you for the liberties that we have, the hope and freedom, and we pray that we would be advocates of that. We pray you protect, strengthen our military personnel. We thank you for those in this room who did serve, either four years, six years, some longer than that. We thank you for their service. Continue to guide our country, we pray. In your precious name, Jesus, amen, amen. Well, this November, we are going through different parts of the book of Psalms. 
And uh, last Sunday, I started with Psalm 23. And we had a part, that was part one, and I'm going to finish that next week. So part two will be next week, Psalm 23, part two. And uh, today we're going to do Psalm 100, and Michelle Nord's dad, who has been here, you know, as soon as I got here, you know, he would come and visit, the family come and visit, I always say, you need to preach sometime. He'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. He was a missionary in the Philippines for many, many years, and finally he was here for, you guys have been here for over a month, right? And so I've been excited. I'm like, you got to preach. He's like, sure. I'm like, yes. So we get the privilege of having Paul preach. Come on up. I want to pray over you. Um, Michelle and Tony are on the beaches right now in Florida. I'm, she's probably bummed she's not here, but oh well. So it's all right, all right. So yeah, yeah, she's heard you many times. All right, let me pray. So Lord, we thank you for Paul and his heart for you. He's probably preached more sermons than I have easily. He's been doing this most of his life. And I thank you for his heart. I pray that you would just allow us to soak in the beauty of this great passage. Anoint him, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. You're welcome. Good morning. morning. Truly, I'm grateful for this opportunity to preach this morning. I preached all my life. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Cody, for sharing your pulpit with me. But perhaps most of you came this morning not expecting a speaker who was born and raised with a strong Filipino accent. <laughs> In 1993, I spoke at First EFC in Mullen, Illinois, our sending church to plant a church in Manila. After I spoke at the foyer, an elderly woman came to me and said, Young man, I was young then. I'm glad you are going back to the Philippines where people can understand you. A younger woman right behind her said, oh no, actually I have no problem understanding him. In fact, I love his accent. It's nice to have listeners who love your accent. Hint, hint. (laughs) If you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? A group of men and women, 95 years old and upward, were asked the same question. Skip Hitzig of Calvary Chapel highlighted uh, three predominant answers. One, I would reflect more. I would risk more. I would do those things that would outlive me more. How about you, as followers of Christ? Would you be more thoughtful, more intentional, more willing to step out of your comfort zones? Sadly, we do not have the opportunity to live our lives all over again. I turned 70 last June. I'm telling you I could not live my life all over again when I was 69. On April 14, I had a retinal detachment surgery on my left eye. Today, a straight line is Wavy. A clear picture is blurry. Sadly, that's how you appear. <laughs> Why do you think I have plenty of pages in my notes? I have a bigger font. <laughs> so I could see better. I wish I had worn eye protective gear while cutting 
three branches with a power saw. I wish I had worn goggles. A wood chip would not have hit the inside part of my left eye. But I could repeat hundreds of times wishing it would be futile, however. Why? I could not live that life again. Neither can you live your life all over again. So today, this morning, I want to say that because we could not live our lives all over again, we have no opportunity for that. Today, we must just have to do offering God right responses to Him as long as we live. Or until Christ appears in the clouds, assuming He returns in our lifetime. That is my proposition for us this morning. My passage was read earlier by the worship uh, team member, so I won't read it again for you. It's Psalm 100. I want to just say that in Psalm 100, there are seven imperative verbs, a perfect number, make, serve, come, know, enter, give, and bless. We are commanded to render to offer to God our right responses. So here is my main idea. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must offer our right responses to the Lord, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Always. The first one, Worship the Lord joyfully. Verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, second part, Come into His presence with singing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. In 1985, my family of four came to the U.S. for good. Annette Carey, my imported wife, well, a Filipino, you know, you marry an American, that's imported, <laughs> uh, was born in Chicago, American by birth and by parents. Michelle and her sister Leanne, our daughters, were born in Cebu City. So the three of us, father and daughters, entered the U.S. as aliens. <laughs> you know how the passport said, alien registration number. <laughs> Praise God, we're not from Pluto. <laughs> The Philippines is still part of planet Earth. <laughs> All the Earth, in verse 1, includes people from different nations, tribes, and tongues, even those with imperfect accents. <laughs> we are commanded to make a joyful noise to the Lord, to come into His presence with singing. That is joyful singing. Wasn't it good to see the worship team up here singing joyfully to the Lord? Amen to those who said yes. <laughs> but were you all singing joyfully with them? You might say, no, but my heart is joyful. Some might say, I love music, but music doesn't love me. So I sing in the shower. <laughs> so the noise covers your voice. Or you don't want to sing at church because you don't want to embarrass yourself. If these are your alibis, 
Who are you kidding with? Look, your family already knows your voice is, let's say, flat, boring, or monotone. On top of that, listen carefully, God is omniscient, all-knowing. The God who created you and gave you your voice knows you struggle with following the musical notes. Right? Despite that, He commands you and me to sing joyfully to Him. We are not singing for them. We are singing for Him. So, joyfully worship the Lord. You know, thank you. You can clap hard. <laughs> I'm not worried about clapping. <laughs> In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, A good man or woman brings good things out of the good stored up in his or her heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is he saying? If your heart is full of joy, you will sing joyful songs to the Lord. How about the Apostle Paul? What does he say? Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Three of the five participles, which are the five marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit are, number one, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number two, singing music from your heart to the Lord. Number three, making melody in your heart to the Lord. What is the principle? A Holy Spirit-filled Christian sings worship songs joyfully from his or her heart to the Lord. Did you see that? I didn't write that. That's from God. So for us to obey these commands, Psalm 100, we need to do two things. One, we must be <laughs> indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He must live in us. Second, we must be filled, controlled, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can sing naturally, not forced, not coerced, but joyfully singing praises to God as we worship Him. Are you that person? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? And are you controlled, filled, empowered by Him? Are you yielding yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit so as empowered Christians you can sing to Him joyfully? I better... Uh, take out my watch and put it on top of here because I may forget, you know. I cannot see that clock there like you normally do. I was told that we still have communion, so <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> so are you indwelt and controlled by the Holy Spirit or still insisting in being the master of your own? or your master. Perhaps one question going through your mind is, how can you worship God joyfully when you are going through adverse, maybe even hurtful situations? To be honest, I don't know what you are facing. Are you facing financial reversals? Maybe terminal illness? broken relationships, rebellious children, ungodly behavior, immor immoral practices, I don't know. My recent 
One is the death of my sister. My sister Rochelle just turned 55 years old on September 14. Without warning, without lingering illness, she died on October 17. And that was the birthday of her husband, Norm. Imagine your next birthday, reminded of the death of your wife. I got that phone call while Norm was in the hospital. It was what woke me up. I was crying with my wife, Annette, and with my family in the U.S. Then I called my siblings in the Philippines, three of them, one by one, crying with each of them until we were able to call as a group and cried together again. <laughs> Instead of Annette and I going away and spending our 45th anniversary on October 22, Sunday, on, on that Sunday, we were driving with four Nord kids to Casey, Illinois for my sister's visitation, celebration of life, service, and burial. So you ask, how could we worship the Lord joyfully in spite of a tragedy? We have the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is living in us, empowering us. That is why we know that without Christ, a person or people have a hopeless end. But with Christ, in Christ, we have an endless hope. So we grieve not like those who have no hope. So, in spite of my tragedy, losing a loved one, I can worship the Lord joyfully. The last command in verse 4, look at your Bible with me if you can. It said, bless his name, praise his name, praise the character and nature of God, meaning glorify the Lord greatly, because that's who he is. He is worthy of our uh, glory, glorifying him. So what is that saying? It simply means for me that we are not to stand up here and sing with gloomy faces and sing with sad hearts. Why? Unhappy singing miserable praising, hopeless worshiping is not, I repeat, is not what the Lord God commands us to do. So worship the Lord joyfully. God wants us from you, from me, from us. Second, the second right response is serve the Lord gladly. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's from my ESB. I know others say, worship the Lord with gladness. There's, maybe the NLT is the same, worship the Lord with gladness. And some others, I have seven in my list of notes, saying, serve the Lord with gladness. We won't quarrel with that. But, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 18, the Hebrew word for translated in here, serve or worship, is abad. Not bad, but abad. The same word is used in Exodus, where it says, go now and work. It could also be Go now and labor, go now and serve. But definitely not go now and worship. Unless they would worship straw, mud, and bricks. 
because that command from Pharaoh was given to the four men of Israel. I just want to, to say that that command has the force of uh, asking you to have intensity in your work or work harder. It signifies expending energy, intensity in their function. Why would it be? Because they were no longer given straw, but had to produce the same number of bricks. In other words, they would have to spend more time looking for straw, harvesting them, and maybe even working harder or faster to make their quota of bricks. Likewise, the command to serve the Lord with gladness calls for our willingness to work, maybe work harder, spend more time and energy utilizing God's resources for us. What's the contrast? The contrast is huge because the Israelites as slaves of Egypt served Pharaoh sadly. But you and I as servants of Christ must serve the Lord gladly. From sadly to gladly. In addition, Romans 12, 6 and 7 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is serving, then serve. What's the principle? Serving is a spiritual gift. You don't need the gift of serving to worship God. We all need to worship God. But some of us are given spiritual gifts. Well, think about some of the gifts you have. We have people in, oh, by the way, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 5, it says, and there are varieties of service. That includes singing in the worship team. That includes, I can see you up there in the sound booth doing PowerPoint, people serving uh, breakfast or donuts and coffee. That involves preparing it and cleaning up their words. Some of you offer your homes for hospitality. Others serve in Sunday school, assisting or teaching. Others also maybe helping in CC, Awana, and so on. Is there a warning to serving the Lord with gladness? Or a warning to serving itself? Yes, of course. Because there are those who serve the Lord, but agitated and complaining like Martha. Luke chapter 10. Some serve the Lord, but grumble like Juna, the whole book of Juna. Others serve the Lord, but murmur like Korah, the Levite grandson of Kuhath, who was not content just carrying the tabernacle uh, items, but he wanted to be a priest that God assigned to Aaron. Not him, but the brother of Moses. Unfortunately, complaining, murmuring, and grumbling are contagious like a virus. I won't mention what virus we had been fighting early <laughs> the past few years and how they're using. Avoid these wrong attitudes. Sadly, for Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and their families, the earth opened up under them and they were buried alive. How do you like that? You complain, the earth opens under you, and you're buried alive. Saves costs of burying. <laughs> Seriously, the church buildings will be empty. Are you with me? 
<laughs> who hasn't complained? Who hasn't murmured? But of course, we want to change that, right? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, if that happens, no one will ever complain again. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on serving the Lord with gladness, in the year 1867, said, and I quote, The proud spirit kicks at that very first word, serve, at once. He questions why he should be a servant. He hates the yoke. You know what a yoke is, right? He will not bow his neck. The lowliest spirit hates the sound of the word, serve, because he prefers free thought, free action. He wants to be his own master. But the humble and teachable soul thinks that service has hidden in it. He knows that in the New Jerusalem, he will serve God day and night forever. So I say be the humble and teachable soul. Use your spiritual gift. Serve the Lord gladly in the very specific service or ministry God assigned you to do. And when you do that, you might be surprised at the impact you could be. One, as a powerful witness for Christ to unbelievers who are affected by your service. Second, as a great blessing to edify fellow believers when you serve together with gladness. Because some who could be in your group are complaining, but seeing you gladly serving, who knows, they might be edified and stop complaining. Last, above all, you are glorifying God who delights in your obedience to his command, serve the Lord with gladness in your heart. Could the reason be that some people do not worship the Lord joyfully and do not serve the Lord gladly is because they do not know him personally. The third point I want to uh, follow through is know the Lord personally. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. To know means to ascertain, to make sure of, to grasp, to understand by developing a relationship with the Lord on a personal basis. We must acknowledge and confess the Lord Yahweh, the self-existing God, as our God. Is he? your God. It is he who made us. He is our creator. Do you know that God regards us fools, the atheists, those who say there is no God? Psalm 14 verse 1. God reckons us fools, Romans 1, 22-23, those who replace this immortal glory with mortal glory of man, Animals, birds, creeping things. And God condemns the idolaters who replaced his glory with mortal glory into so many deplorable conditions. Look at Romans 1 verse 24. Dishonoring of their bodies. Sounds familiar? Dishonorable passions. Verse 26, you can fill in the blanks. I even cannot keep up with the names. Unnatural relations and shameless acts, verse 27, every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, murder, etc., verse 29. We won't have time to go through all those. But here's my point. Psalm 100, verse 3, is God's answer to those who espouse falsehood. 
fake news, fiction, and figment of the people's imagination on how we came to be in this world like evolution, like Big Bang, etc. We are his by creation. I won't go through what Pastor Cody did because he explained so well all the benefits that God has for us as his you know, people, as his sheep, and so on. I want to just add this point that we are his by creation. God created us in his own image. God created us wonderfully in our mother's womb. Everything, uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, on this earth is the Lord's, what he created. So, we are his, we are God's by creation. However, we are his people by redemption. What I mean here is, not all human beings although created by God, are God's people. Not even all descendants of Abraham, born through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are God's people. There's a big difference between election and redemption. Election has to do with function, purpose, task. They were elected to receive his covenant, to receive his promises, to receive even the Messiah, and to teach them to people. But not all of them are redeemed, meaning saved. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 23, verse 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to enter. Who is he talking to? The Jewish people who were elected by God to receive his covenants, his promises, his law. Teachers of the law, scribes, rabbis, Pharisees. That's all they were supposed to be doing, teaching. But what is Christ saying? You are not entering God's kingdom. And those who are trying to enter, you also block them from entering. That's what it says right here. So elected but not saved. I tried to witness to a Jewish man in Skokie when we lived there. He simply told me that I am an atheist. But what I want to ask you this morning is this. Are you his people by redemption? Do you belong to his sheep enjoying his pasture? Do you? I know my time's running out. But knowing the Lord personally means that He also knows you personally. John chapter 10, 27 to 28 says, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. What a guarantee. Knowing all His sheep giving them eternal life, guaranteeing that they are going to be with him forever. But he said, I know them. It would be a sad moment in your lifetime if you hear that phrase from Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 23. Someone who had been in church Someone who had been introduced to the scripture. Someone who had been even maybe performing miracles and doing a service in the ministry. Christ 
in that verse, Matthew 7, 23, simply said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. That will be so sad. So know him personally. I guess I have to go to my last point before, <laughs> before uh, Pastor Aaron uh, kicks me out of here. Thank the Lord wholeheartedly. Look at the last uh, point. It simply says, Interest gates with thanksgiving and is scorched with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. The reasons are, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Let me wrap that up with this proposition. True worship of the Father must be done in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. True worship of the Father must be done in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Why am I ending it with this? If you notice, it said, enter his courts and his gates. That reminds us of the tabernacle that God commanded Moses to build exactly according to the pattern he showed him up on the mountain. But we know the tabernacle is gone. We know the temple is gone since 70 AD for good. But if Moses is the author of this passage, and I would contend that he might be, it's not labeled, he is well qualified to remind you and to help us picture a portrait of a house of worship like we are now, where we worship God. But the second part to that is to help us picture or portrait in our minds who the person God wants us to worship him through. Tabernacle. We have no time to go through it, but a thorough study of the tabernacle is going to point us all to Jesus. Briefly, the gate is Jesus. The door is Jesus. Inside the court, he is the sacrifice on the bronze altar. In the Holy of Holies, he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. The uh, fragrant offering on the altar of incense. He's the curtain. He is the atonement cover. The mercy seat. I'm rushing it up because of my time. But look here. God said to Moses, he would speak to Moses, Aaron and succeeding high priests who entered the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of atonement to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, atonement cover, who is Jesus, or points to Jesus. True worship, God was telling Moses and Israelites, was accomplished through the Lamb of God. Briefly, survey with me. God sacrificed an animal or animals, the blood, to clothe Adam and Eve because of their sin. They were naked and embarrassed. He clothed them. God offered a ram to Abraham to offer instead of Isaac at Mount Moriah where the temple of Solomon was built later on. And God told Egypt, I mean Moses and Israelites in Egypt to offer the perfect no blemish, one-year-old lambs as the Passover lambs that delivered Israel from death of the tenth plague. All those and the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and temple, all those point to who? 
Jesus. Look at the passage. It says, uh, for the Lord is good. God's goodness is expressed in his mercy. If not for God's mercy, the psalmist said, we would all be destroyed. Instead, God offered an atonement for us. That atonement is Jesus Christ. True worship of God, according to God, given to Moses and Israel was according to who? The perfect Passover lamb pointing to Jesus who died on the cross, giving his life for you, shedding his blood for you, so that you could be atoned for your sins. So that unless you and I are going to give our lives to Christ fully, surrendering to him, giving him the throne and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I sinned against you. I live my life my way. Now I want to live my life your way. Come into me as my Lord and Savior. And when Jesus sees in you genuine repentance from sin and saving faith, what does he do? He gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you forever. That's why I said earlier, a spirit-filled Christian can worship, can joyfully serve, uh, can give thanks always because that is what the Holy Spirit does. True worship of God is accomplished in the name of the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who became flesh, died on the cross for your sins and mine, so that you can be atoned, you can be saved from that lake of fire. And when you genuinely repent of your sins and come to faith in Christ, He will come into your life. He'll give you eternal life. Assure you that you'll be spending eternity in heaven with Him. And John the Baptist said, I come to baptize with water, but He's coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, will send you the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee that you are going to be in His kingdom forever. Let me close with this. I don't want to assume maybe one or two or more. This morning, you do not know for sure you are going to be in His kingdom. You don't know for sure you have eternal life. In fact, your worship maybe was sad, not joyful. Perhaps it's because you don't have Christ, really. You don't know Him personally. As I pray, as I close, I want to know if you are willing to, this morning, give your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have introduced us. In fact, you, you promised Moses, you will be back in this place to worship me on this mountain. You taught them how to worship you through your perfect Lamb, Jesus. I pray now that if one or two here this morning do not know you in a personal way, or you don't know them personally, but they would like to come to you saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want to come. I want to give you my life. I want to receive your gift of eternal life. I want to have the Holy Spirit living in me as a guarantee. I belong to your kingdom. I'm your sheep who will be with you forever. As your eyes are closed, heads bowed, if one or two would like to do that this morning, will you raise your hand? Nobody looking, just me. Will you raise your hand? You want to receive Christ into your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God reminding us of who you are, how you want us to worship. That the Trinity, the triune God is involved in worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus even said, true worshipers 
are what the Father is looking for, who will worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus, you are the truth. And the Holy Spirit is your third person. Bless each one now as we commune with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, uh, Pastor Paul, for that good word this morning. Uh, we are going to uh, partake in communion this morning. So if you didn't uh, grab one on the way in, if you'd raise your hand, Andre and Pastor Cody um, will get one of these uh, communion cups and wafers to you. Uh, here at Maranatha, we do not believe that you need to be a, a, a go through membership class or anything uh, to partake of communion in our church. We have open communion. All we ask is that you uh, know Jesus as your Savior. Um, when Pastor Cody asked me to uh, lead us in communion, uh, I went through a lot of uh, the normal verses that you might hear um, talking at maybe maybe from Corinthians or uh, the upper room discourse when, when Jesus breaks bread in, in communion with his disciples. But uh, my attention was drawn um, to John 17 uh, because we, we always talk about this new covenant, right? We talk about the new covenant that Christ gave us, but we don't always talk about the ramifications of that new covenant. We talk about Jesus uh, uh, coming and dying and, and rising again, but what are the ramifications for you and for me? Well, he gives them in, in John chapter 17 because it's very interesting what John uh, writes, what Jesus does right before he's about to uh, be betrayed, right before he's about to go to the cross, right before he's about to be beaten. He prays. He talks to the Father, and he, he prays not even really for himself. He takes, I think, about two verses to pray for himself, and then the rest is for his disciples and for you and for me. Uh, so there, there's two things I saw in, in John chapter 17, starting with verse 13. We'll share the first one. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Listen to this. That they might be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's a that's our call, to be unified in likeness and also alongside with the Trinity, the perfect union. That's our call as believers, is to be united together through Christ, through our union with Christ. So this morning as we um, in, uh, partake of communion uh, and partake of the bread, I want to ask you to remember this morning that this is a symbol, these are symbols of our unity with Christ. Let's take this together. John goes on to write, uh, continuing on in Jesus' prayer here, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they might be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me wherever I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have your, made your name known to them, and I will make it known, listen to this, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. Because of our union with Christ, because of what he did for us on the cross, because we can be with him eternally, we have a great union, yes, but out of that flows a great 
love from the Father. As we take this cup together, I ask you to remember that this morning. Uh, The worship team is going to come up and we're going to close in a few songs, but before we do that, let me uh, pray for you. Father God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for our union with Jesus Christ. As Pastor Paul talked about this morning, that he would atone for our sins because of his great love for us. That everything in scripture, that Passover lamb, that tabernacle, points to that perfect sacrifice. But praise God that our sacrificial lamb did not stay dead. Praise God that you rose again. Praise God that we can have a union with him and enjoy eternity with him one day. We long for that, but while we're here, Father, I ask that we would remember through that union with you and with your son, through the Holy Spirit, that our great love for each other would be such a great witness to the world that it would be evident that Jesus Christ is the reality of what the world needs. I pray these things in your name. Amen.